everyone, Trace here. Welcome back to Seeker Plus. Today we're going to talk about the science of something you've definitely heard of, vitamins. Over the next 45 minutes or so, we're going to look at the biology and physiology, history and myths around vitamins and minerals. It's going to be sick. I mean, hopefully not like actually sick, you know, because if you're eating a healthy diet, your immune system is going to make sure that you don't get sick. But yeah, never mind. Let's just kick into it. Vitamins are a big part of being a human. And actually, you probably associate them with being a kid because they kept telling you, your parents probably, don't forget to take your vitamins, right? You see things like fortified with vitamins and minerals, all of those cereal commercials where they tell you how many vitamins and minerals are in all the different cereals and you hear about vitamins all the time. We're encouraged to take them, to be conscious of them, to learn their names, which is sometimes easy because they're just letters, you know, A, B, C, D, E, and K, and so on. Is there a vitamin F? What about a vitamin Z? Anyway, what is a vitamin after all? The first place to go if you want to find out what a vitamin is, is the dictionary, of course. So I did that. Quote, any group of organic compounds which are essential for normal growth and nutrition and are required in small quantities in the diet because they cannot be synthesized by the body is a vitamin. So the body can't make it. We have to go out into the world and get it. Vitamins are stuff that you get from nature. It's raw materials to get stuff done inside of you to help you either build up your body or maintain your body function. And collectively, we call them vitamins and minerals. So a good example might be iron. It helps your blood carry oxygen. It helps your red blood cells have hemoglobin on them. And it only comes from the earth. You can't make iron inside of your body. Most of your vitamins you get from a healthy, varied diet. But during the age of the Industrial Revolution, we started to see extreme poverty and people not getting enough to eat, not getting a healthy, balanced diet. In order to learn to feed the poor, scientists start exploring what a diet could be. What exactly was a healthy diet? And they used science to start breaking down our diet into component parts and figure this out. They wanted to ask what food even is, right? Quick sidebar, around the turn of the 19th century, people in Paris were trying to figure out how to feed the poor. And the common thought at the time was that food had four components, carbohydrates, fats, minerals, and proteins. That's really it. Proteins were all considered equal value, no matter what protein it was. Fats like lard, butter, or cod liver oil, they were all interchangeable. Everything was the same. It was simple, four components. And sidebar, that's what we were working with at the time. So germ theory comes in. I see you, Louis Pasteur and Robert Koch. And vitamin theory comes in on its heels. Simply put, they didn't think that this set of four components was quite right. Maybe they were a good starting point, but there was more to it than just four things. And that doesn't mean we suddenly discovered vitamins. And in fact, the story of vitamins discovery is kind of boring because there's no eureka moment. It was slow, incremental progress toward a common goal of understanding our food better. But there are so many stories around these incremental experiments and changes. So for example, during the Siege of Paris in 1870, infants and toddlers kept dying of malnourishment, and people tried to use what they understood about food and create substitutes. So remember, we had these four components, proteins, carbohydrates, fats, and minerals. So they tried to sub in different fats and different proteins because they were all the same. They thought they were interchangeable, but it wasn't quite right. And that's when physiologist Gustav von Bungie comes in. He asks, does milk contain, in addition to protein, fat, and carbohydrates, other organic substances which are also indispensable to the maintenance of life? 
They weren't sure. A guy named Frederick Hopkins stepped in later, and he actually won the Nobel Prize because he realized that if you fed rats milk, which is a form of fat, they would grow. But if you fed them different fats, they didn't grow. He realized there must be some component that he didn't quite understand that was helping the rats develop. In 1918, they called this component of milk fat-soluble A. This was happening concurrently with other scientists that were looking at rice, and they found that the husk of rice was nutritional. But without the husk, malnourishment would happen. In 1912, a Polish scientist named Casimir Funk coined the vitamin word, or vitamine, after vita, which meant life, and amine, which is part of thiamine, which are parts of rice husks. They shortened it to vitamin, so that's how we got the 1920 name from fat-soluble A to vitamin A. Again, not the most exciting eureka moment, right? It was these little teeny discoveries by all these different scientists working toward a common goal of understanding our food better. But what they did learn is that not all fats and not all proteins are interchangeable. There are components of food here, but within those components are different vitamins that the body needs. At the end of the day, we now know that there are two different types or major groups of vitamins. There's the fat-soluble vitamin, which is like vitamin A, and it's processed into our fat and stored in our body. Then there's the water-soluble vitamin, which is like thiamine, and that goes into our body and then we would urinate or excrete it out. In humans, there are four different fat-soluble vitamins that are eaten and stored, vitamin A, D, E, and K. There are nine water-soluble vitamins, which are eaten and then excreted, urine usually. That's vitamin C, and then all the vitamin Bs, B1, 2, 3, 5, 7, 6, 9, 12. They all have different names, like thiamine is B1, riboflavin is B2, niacin is B3, and so on and so forth. The missing numbers in the B vitamins were, hmm, they thought they were a vitamin, they realized they weren't, so they just took them out of the list. So. Let's start with the fat-soluble vitamins. A fat-soluble vitamin is something that we consume and then it is processed by our fat, which means it goes into the fat and it's stored there. It stays in our body. It's easier to overdose on that would mean because it just builds up inside. That's vitamin A, D, E, and K. And they each do very specific things. A helps with red blood cell formation, skin formation, vision, growth, and development. D helps with blood pressure, bone growth and calcium balance, hormone production and nervous system function. E helps with blood vessel growth and antioxidants. K helps with blood clotting and bone strength. And remember, these are very important things, and that's good that they can be stored because we don't necessarily eat them every day. So when we need them, they're there. Then there's water-soluble vitamins. These are more temporary. We eat them and they're processed through the water of our body, which means they get excreted. If you have a lot of this, then you're basically gonna have really expensive urine, which I'm probably gonna say more than once, just so you know. So all the B vitamins under the B umbrella, one, two, three, five, seven, nine, you know, there are so many different ones. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, all have the same name because of loose similarities in their properties and their distribution in natural sources. Together, I'm just gonna take all the B vitamins. They can help with energy, protein, carbs, fat metabolism. They can help stop birth defects, help with red blood cell formation, cholesterol production, nervous system functions. They can help the food to energy conversion, hormone production, growth and development. Very important stuff, right? Which means you have to consume these vitamins constantly, because again, you're excreting them. Vitamin C is the same. You have to eat it constantly, and it can help with connective tissue formation, wound healing, and antioxidants. And again, cannot be stored, so you have to continually consume it. 
treatment. Extra, though, doesn't always help, and we'll come back to why in a minute. Nutritionists and scientists are pretty clear on this. The best way to get vitamins is through a healthy diet, not necessarily through chewy, tasty, gummy candies. It's obviously different for everyone, but it is possible to eat all of these things in just a normal diet because they exist in so many different foods. I'm not gonna list all the different foods that all the different vitamins could come in because I'd basically be reading you a spreadsheet, but you can find it out there. It's so easy to find. And they exist in a bunch of different things. So let me give you some brief examples. A vitamins come from orange foods, yeah. Things like eggs and milk as well, obviously. B vitamins uh, come in so many things, I'm not even gonna list any of them. There's just so many that have B vitamins in them. E vitamins come in green vegetables, nuts, peanuts, and vegetable oils. K vitamins also are found in green vegetables. None of the vitamins are exclusive to any one type of diet, although, B12 is something that we get from meat because we will eat a animal that has consumed B12 in its environment. It's found via soil bacteria, so vegetarians can't actually get supplements that will get them B12. But for the most part, people can just eat a normal diet and get all of these different vitamins. Also, FYI, vegans can eat B12 because it comes from bacteria and bacteria is vegan. Fun, fun fact. But let's say that you don't want to or you can't, maybe, an allergy, eat all of these different things. Or that you want it to be simple, right? You just want a pill, take care of it, have a supplement, you no problem. Vitamin supplements are widely available and they have been for a long time. A 2012 Harvard Medical School study says, quote, 114 million Americans, roughly half of the adult population, take at least one supplement. And in 2015, the Council for Responsible Nutrition, which by the way is a lobbying front for the supplement industry, says that 68% of Americans take a supplement. Globally, the supplement industry is $133 billion. But again, you don't always need vitamins. It's a supplement. Carol Hagens, a dietitian and consultant to the National Institutes of Health, quote, says, supplements can be useful for filling gaps in your diet. End quote. The thing is, supplements are not drugs, so they're not regulated by the FDA in the same way. If a supplement claims to cure something, like a drug would, that's a red flag. So when you do go to look for supplements, make sure that you're keeping that in mind. Another quick sidebar, if you see the word fortified on something, do you know what that means? Because I didn't. Basically, it means that they've added a vitamin to it. So fortified milk, or fortified cereal is something that they added vitamins to to make it, quote unquote, in the air healthier, right? 2% milk has 36% less vitamin A because they stripped out some of the milk fat from the whole milk. So they put it back in and they fortify the milk. That means vitamins, again, have been added. For simplicity, just assume that you can get vitamins just as easily from fortified products. They've been around for almost 100 years, so they're pretty safe. And sidebar. Okay, so vitamins. As you know, they are needed. You have to get them from the environment. You have to eat them and consume them in order to do all sorts of amazing things within your body. But every vitamin works differently. So let's trace vitamin D through the whole process. Vitamin D is found in fatty or oily fish. It's also created, fun fact, inside of your skin. Let's take that route. Deep in the skin is a steroid called 7-D-hydrocholesterol. It's 
a cholesterol. And when it's hit by UVB from the sun, just being outside, it breaks one of its chemical bonds and it converts to cholecalciferol or vitamin D. Then a protein called vitamin D binding protein or DBP grabs it and transports it into the bloodstream to where it's needed. It helps us express our genes. Up to 1,250 different genes can be expressed and help by vitamin D. And it's used to build bones because vitamin D helps us absorb calcium out of our diet. The thing is, only five to 30 minutes in the sun will do it two to three times a week. So if you're outside, just Make sure you've got some skin exposed to the sun. That's really it. If you don't consume enough of the vitamin, you can have a deficiency. And vitamin D is one of those. It's actually fairly common. One billion people worldwide could have low vitamin D. Uh, senior citizens commonly have low vitamin D. People in northern countries often don't see as much of the sun, especially in the winter months, so they might have low vitamin D. Sun exposure can be tough to come by in a lot of different places, right? And it can contribute to bone loss. It can often cause people to get sick more often, can cause fatigue uh, over time, and it can even make people have a little trouble healing. But of course, you can take a vitamin supplement for something like that, right? If that is the situation that you're living in, don't just live without vitamin D, take a small supplement and you should be okay. But if you overdose on vitamin D, that can be bad. So this is what I mentioned earlier, too much of a good thing. If you overdose on vitamin D, it can cause a buildup of calcium in your blood. Basically, the vitamin D doesn't know when to stop binding and bringing calcium out, right? It just does it, that's its job. So if you have a lot of vitamin D, you're gonna get a lot of calcium and that can cause a problem in your body. It can also cause nausea and vomiting, weakness and frequent urination. It can cause bone pain, it can cause kidney problems. Of course, this isn't like I took one vitamin D supplement and suddenly all of this happened. You'd have to take handfuls of vitamin D pills every day for months. But that's not always the case. Some vitamins are a little more prone to being overdosed. Let's go back to vitamin A. Vitamin A, eventually, once we figured out exactly what it was and where it was coming from, we learned to synthesize it. It was first synthesized in 1947 and put into tablets or pills to supplement people's diets to make sure that they could still grow even if they didn't have vitamin A in their diet. The thing is, you only need three milligrams per day of vitamin A, that's not very much. And according to Harvard, quote, large amounts of supplemental vitamin A can be harmful to your bones. And it doesn't get excreted. Remember, this is fat-soluble, vitamin A. Water-soluble, things like vitamin C and B12, again, very expensive urine. Fat-soluble vitamins, if you eat too many of them, can build up and cause all sorts of problems. So far, we've learned what a vitamin is and what our body uses them for. We've also learned that the best way to get vitamins is through a varied and healthy diet. I cannot stress that enough. That is what all of the different studies are saying. If you want vitamins, go through a varied and healthy diet. But you can't talk vitamins and minerals without the consumer-focused vitamin industry getting into that mix. So today, we're gonna go all in on this. The first question we had on this section is, are vitamin supplements bad? And the answer is no, they are not inherently bad. It's a supplement. Supplements are supplemental. What is bad is how we think about them. Supplemental things are not meant to be the mainstay of our diet, right? Supplements don't make you healthier. They aren't drugs. They aren't preventative medicine. They are supplementing a poor diet. They're supplementing a lack of something or a deficiency in something somewhere else in our diet. 
Johns Hopkins did a roundup of all the different studies on vitamin supplements and found, quote, an analysis of research involving 450,000 people, which found that multivitamins did not reduce the risk for heart disease or cancer, even though some vitamins claim that it can do that. It also found, quote, a study that tracked the mental functioning and multivitamin use of almost 6,000 men for 12 years found that multivitamins did not reduce the risk for mental declines such as memory loss or slowed down thinking. Another thing that vitamins claim they can do. It also found, quote, a study of 1,708 heart attack survivors who took a high-dose multivitamin or placebo for up to 55 months found that rates of later heart attacks, heart surgeries, and deaths were similar in the two groups. So it doesn't work better than a placebo or a sugar pill. Multivitamins won't help you reduce your risk for cancer. They won't help you reduce your risk for cognitive decline or heart disease. And they won't help do a lot of things that a lot of people feel like they do. St. Michael's Hospital and the University of Toronto did a systematic review of vitamin supplements from 2012 to 2017 of all different studies about multivitamins, vitamin C, calcium, and vitamin D. And they found, quote, they showed no advantage or added risk in prevention of cardiovascular disease, heart attack, or premature death. Just let that sink in. Vitamins don't really seem to help us in the way that drugs do. Not a surprise, really unless you're thinking about vitamins wrong. They're a supplement to missing things in your diet. They're not a preventative medicine or a cure. And as we learned earlier, too much of a good thing can actually hurt us. The University of Minnesota in 2011 found that women who took supplemental multivitamins died at higher rates than those who did not. Another study in the Cleveland Clinic found that men who took vitamin E had higher risks of prostate cancer. So how did we come to believe the apparent myth that nutritional supplements, dietary supplements, could make us somehow healthier? It comes back to this one guy, which is amazing. So rarely comes back to one guy, but it kind of does come back to this one guy, Linus Pauling. In 1931, he published a paper in the Journal of the American Chemical Society called The Nature of the Chemical Bond. Chemists at the time knew that ionic and covalent bonds existed in chemistry. Pauling found that electron sharing meant that there was something in between the ionic and covalent bonds. Basically, he melded quantum theory plus chemistry. And because of that, he became a big deal. He became a professor at Caltech. He was elected to the National Academy of Sciences, the youngest person ever. He was only 30, and he won a Nobel Prize. This made him a huge deal in science. He continued publishing papers on sickle cell anemia and proteins. He speculated about mutations in blood cells that indicated that humans and gorillas had a shared ancestor that was only 11 million years ago. Then, disaster. Pauling was in his 60s, and he was starting to talk about living longer. And Erwin Stone, a biochemist, wrote him a letter and he told Pauling, there's a way to do that. Take 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day. And he would live, quote, 25 years longer and probably more. And Pauling, this very influential, very important man who does science for a living, followed his advice. And he felt great. He didn't have colds. He felt lively or healthy. He increased the dosage to 18,000 milligrams per day because he thought this was some kind of miracle cure. In 1970, Pauling published a paper, 
vitamin C and the common cold. And the paper was designed to urge the public to take 3,000 milligrams of vitamin C every day. By the way, that is 50 times the recommended dosage of vitamin C. And this was disastrous because scientists had already published lots of papers debunking vitamin C as a cure-all for the common cold. They'd published lots of different papers talking about what vitamin C could and could not do for us. But Pauling's paper convinced scientists that one, there was more to do, and two, convinced people that he was right. Pharmacists started stocking more vitamin C in higher milligram dosages. The sales went up tenfold. That's 10 times more vitamin C sales. People started to listen to Pauling and take these vitamin Cs as if they were curing themselves or you know, shielding themselves against these illnesses. And studies started again across the country and they were not finding what Pauling was hawking. They were finding side effects of high vitamin C dosages like kidney stones, stomach cramps, nausea, and diarrhea. You know what they weren't finding? People suddenly living 25 years or longer. But the damage was done and companies that sold vitamins realized they had something here. If you can get somebody to get out there and hawk your product, you're gonna sell more of it. You know, duh. And this has not stopped today. Endocrinologist Dr. Michael Holick is hawking vitamin D as a way to cure what ails you now. Though a comprehensive 2011 report found that most people in the U.S. get enough vitamin D, Holick's personal view is we need more. And not unlike Pauling, he's a very powerful doctor. So he actually drafted the national vitamin D guidelines. So now we recommend that we take more vitamin D because he decided when he wrote the guidelines. But should we take more vitamin D? In 2017, sales were almost $1 billion. But does the vitamin D supplement actually help people? Well, quote, there's no evidence that people who take a lot of vitamin D are any healthier than those who take very little. And in fact, quote, your bones could suffer if you take supplements when you don't need them. Holick has written hundreds of papers on vitamin D, but he's also taken money from the tanning bed industry and the vitamin supplement industry. So when it comes to stuff like this, we commonly believe that these vitamins will help because someone has told us, but we don't always look into who told them. In May 2018, a new study was released looking at 179 different papers and combining the results. The supplements that they examined were vitamins A, C, D, E, B1, which is thiamine, B2, which is riboflavin, B3, which is niacin, B6, which is pyridoxine, and B9, which is folic acid, beta carotene. They looked at minerals, calcium, iron, zinc, magnesium, and selenium, and they found mostly, quote, there was no benefit from taking them, but also no harm. So if you like throwing money in the trash, cool. Folic acid might help prevent stroke or heart disease in those at risk for stroke and heart disease. But if you're not at risk, buying folic acid as a shield might up your prostate cancer risk, but won't help you with the other things. So I could go on and on with this. There are so many studies that talk all about vitamins and look into the efficacy of vitamins. You know why? Because we talk all about vitamins and we want them to work.
The reason we think vitamins are good or tend to is because our moms told us they were and these other powerful scientists told us that they felt so good about them. But we also were told by commercials and drug companies and vitamin companies and people who stand to make a profit off of our ignorance in this area. The industry behind vitamins and supplements uses promotions to make people want to buy vitamins and supplements. The Kardashians hawk these gummies that supposedly make their hair healthier. Gwyneth Paltrow, who is often debunked, also sells vitamins and pills and liquids and you know, they're basically potions. Infowars even sells vitamins and supplements. Brain Force Plus, which is supposed to supercharge your state of mind. You know why? This works because people want to believe, right? You want to believe that I can take this pill. And it goes without saying that these groups are co-opting science to try and claim efficacy, like it will cure something. It will protect you from something. Drugs are out there that claim with ingredients from jellyfish that they can help your brain. And they use words like clinically proven. Those are science words, but there's not really any science there. They're just using those words. Let's go back to what we were saying earlier. This is a dietary supplement. It's a food supplement. If you don't have enough of this in your healthy, varied diet, you can take this pill to make up the difference. But that's about all they do. Drugs and medicine cure things. Supplements help make sure that your diet is balanced. To quote Bonnie Patton, the executive director of the nonprofit Truth in Advertising, quote, People want to believe that there's some all-natural, healthy supplement that they can take that's going to make them feel and look better. And a lot of times, much of it is based on hype or misleading marketing. So where's our corner, right? Where's the guy in our corner on this? The FDA, Food and Drug Administration? They don't actually regulate supplements, not in the way that you think anyway. They will step in if a company goes out of line, but they don't look them over before they hit market. And this is according to the Dietary Supplement Health and Education Act of 1994. Before that, we were working with a law from the 1930s. But in 94, they passed a pretty quickly criticized bill that was deemed an industry-friendly bill. So now, supplements are everywhere. And it's actually a pretty new problem because it's only from the 1990s. So what should we do? Eat a well-balanced, healthy diet? and get all your vitamins that way. I know, it's the most boring answer to something that's so interesting. And yet, you probably won't do it, right? Because it's so much easier to go to a shiny aisle and buy a pill that promises to help. Dr. David Series, a director of medical nutrition at Columbia University Medical Center, told the New York Times, the way to make sure that you don't have to worry about dietary supplements is to eat lots of fruits and vegetables, eat things that look as much like as when they came out of the ground or off the hoof or hook as possible. He also said, eat less processed food, no extremes. It's that simple, but simple is boring and doesn't sell. Dr. Series is right. <laughs> Supplements are amazing. They can help people who don't get enough from their diet, people who need or are at risk for a deficiency, people who say want to eat vegan but don't want to eat meat so they can take a B12 supplement, people who are allergic or are unable to procure things that do exist in a healthy diet. Supplements are great for all of that, but we evolved to eat so many different things, so supplements don't actually fix a problem. They're just a stopgap. They don't make up for missing a meal or eating a pizza every day. They just make sure that you don't break down. And that's pretty darn boring. 
There are no magic pills out there. There's just a bunch of human-made ones and science to see if those pills are telling the truth. Thanks so much for hanging out with me today here on Seeker Plus. Just a reminder, you can find more Seeker at youtube.com seeker. And you can find me over on Twitter. Just look for Trace Dominguez. You can also find me on Instagram and YouTube. I'm easy to find. This episode was written by Trace Dominguez, fact-checked by Lauren Ellis and Adam Starr, produced by Lauren Ellis, edited by Thomas Blythe, and recorded by Matt Pignol. Thanks again for listening to Seeker Plus. We release new podcasts every week on this feed, and if you're looking for more learning in your life, come find us over on Seeker or me on my channel, Uno Dose of Trace, for a new video every week. Thanks again for tuning in. Leave a rating wherever you are listening, and tell your friends about Seeker Plus. Thanks again.